This is Pastor to Pastor, a podcast of InnoBTS and Level College. Pastor to Pastor is here to help you lay a biblical foundation for your ministry. Welcome back to Pastor to Pastor. I'm Charlie Ray here, as always, with Adam Hughes. And as we think through uh, issues related to the gospel, uh, one of the things I, I thought it would be helpful for us to think through today is uh, dealing with a church that's being influenced by the false gospel, a false gospel, I guess I should say. Uh, one of the things that we'll probably all deal with in pastoral ministry is uh, church members, um, groups within the church who've either been impacted by false teachers or maybe Lord willing not, but some of us will have to deal with situations where we actually have a group within the church uh, that is proclaiming a false gospel. And so, Adam, I thought uh, maybe it'd be helpful to lead pastors to think through, what do you do uh, if members of your church are, are being impacted by a false gospel? What, what are some thoughts that you would have for us there? Yeah, I, I do think that's a really, really good question. And just as as a reminder as it relates to what we're looking at in this in this series of podcasts, as we're thinking and we've defined what is the gospel, and we've talked about how you can how you proclaim it, one of those theolo- one of the podcasts we did on the theological uh, uh, definitions of the gospel was how do you recognize or what is a false gospel? Mm-hmm. And so, in a lot of ways, what this is it's the practical outworking. Okay, you as a pastor recognize what is a false gospel. That's all well and good, but like you're saying, what happens when the rubber meets the road? What happens when you're in the church, you're pastoring, and this thing becomes a real issue? And so, that's what we want to talk about here. Just a few things that come to mind. First of all. I, 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 this may go without saying, but nonetheless, we're not those to let things go without being said, are we, Charlie? We normally <laughs> like to actually say them if people know anything about us at this point. So the first thing I would say is you just have to know your sheep. Now, let me be very clear about that. That doesn't mean that it, as a pastor, you will know everyone in your congregation to the same level that you know everyone else. But there needs to be a sense in which you have a good working understanding and you're constantly caring about people, knowing your people well enough to know what's going on, uh, what might be certainly as it relates to ministries of the church, but even privately might be influencing them. And then, Charlie, I would say beyond that, just the more you get to know people, there's a sense in which you can know what they may be susceptible to. Mm-hmm. There's people that I've known that I've pastored right that just – if there's any type of teaching, like forget, forgive me for saying this, any type of teaching like the prosperity gospel – because mm-hmm. things go so bad in their life, anything like that that they can hold, hold on to or grab onto, they're really quick to grab onto it. Well, knowing that as a pastor helps me shepherd them. Right. But the only way I know that is to know them. Mm-hmm. This here in some ways is also, we, we've talked about in these practical applications and outworkings, we've talked about the integration of different parts of ministry into gospel proclamation. We could go back a couple of couple semesters when we talked about and defined what is a pastor. Right. And one of those things that we talked about when we defined what is a pastor is we talked about how do you know your sheep. We looked at First Peter chapter 5. I know that's a long time back and people thinking a long time back. But we talked about this concept where where, where Peter calls those overseers, those elders there, to, to shepherd the flock of God, of God among them. Mm-hmm. And so the question becomes, what does that among them mean? And what does it mean to get to know, to be able to shepherd those among you? And I made the statement, I think, when we were talking about that, is you have to walk 
slowly among your sheep as their shepherd. And I'm not going to unpack that again, but all that to say, part of a practical application of doing that is when the sheep get in danger of wolves, of how we define it, if you're not walking slowly amongst the sheep as their shepherd, you're going to struggle to know if indeed they have been impacted or are being infected by a false teaching or a false gospel. Yeah, I think it's always helpful to think of pastoral ministry in terms of shepherding, right? And there's, of course, there's whole books built around this imagery of shepherding. But one of the things that I think we have to think about is that part of the role of a pastor is to shepherd or to guard the church against false teaching, against wolves and false teachers, right? And against, like you said, even ways in which church members are going to be pulled towards different false teachings. One of the things our church does, uh, so we have a membership interview with everybody who um, would be considering joining the church, right? And uh, some people are kind of intimidated membership interview. I don't, we don't really have a better name for it. But what that means is effectively, anybody who joins our church, you have to sit down with at least one of the pastors um, and, and go over lots of things. And one of the things that we do in every one of those membership interviews is ask the prospective member to uh, tell us what the gospel is, right? So that at a very base point, even as we guard the membership of the church, that everybody who comes into membership in our church at least knows what the gospel is. Now, they could be deceiving us, right? There's lots of other things that go into that. But, I mean, I think it's 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 so important. And sometimes we take that for granted. There's a couple different instances. I know when we had our membership interview with one of the pastors, he asked me first, what is the gospel? And I gave, this is going to shock you, Adam, but probably a longer answer than I needed to. <laughs> and then he turns to my wife and he says, Lisa, what's the gospel? And she's like, well, what do you want me to say now? Like, <laughs> what he said, you know, I mean, because it was like, what do you, you know, what do you want you me to say? You covered there? all your bases yeah, is what you're saying. Like yeah. But, but even I've had those membership interviews and I did this fairly recently. We had a, a, a coworker, a, another seminary professor that's joining the church. And first question I asked him is what is the gospel? And I'm like, I'm obviously assuming that a seminary professor is going to have a good answer to this question, but we don't want to take that for granted, right? We even ask that to make sure that our people are knowing what the gospel is. Um, yeah, I think even if you go into a church with long-standing members, you don't want to take things like that for granted. Can your church members clearly articulate the gospel? And I'll tell you one of the ways, and I, I'm confession, I did not always do this perfectly, but when I first started pastoring years ago, and for lack of a desire to date myself. I'm not going to tell you how many years ago, but years ago when I first started pastoring, I had a wiser, older pastor say, you know, one of the things I've always tried to do in my first year of pastoring, like you're talking about, is the new members coming in. But his question, And you're, going to, you're probably going to have a better opportunity to get to mm-hmm. know them on the front end if they join under your leadership. But what he talked about is what about those that have been members for a long time or all the members of the church when you get there? And one of the things he said was, he said, I always tried to go see everybody, if at all possible, that was a member of the church, set up an appointment where they came to the office. I like to go to their house within the first year that I was there. And he says, that's not the only time I would try to visit them, but I would try to say, look, I don't, you don't have to you know, make me anything. I'm not coming over for a meal. I don't want you to feel like you have to bake a pie. He said, I just want to come over and I need 10 or 15 minutes just so we can get to know each other. And he said, I would take an index card. And on that index card, I would just put three or four, maybe five key pieces of information about that person. And one of those questions to ask was, tell me about your salvation 
and share with me your understanding of what the gospel is. Mm-hmm. So even for those that have been members for a long time, you're doing that. And he would ask some other questions. And to be honest, one of the reasons he did that is he said, look, I understand that maybe before I'm here long, there's a chance I might have to do some of these people's funeral. Mm-hmm. And I'd like to have something personal to say. But beyond that, it's a way of pastoring them in such a way that you're understanding, are they firm in their faith, or are there some some perhaps issues that could cause some stumbling or them to be attacked in a way where their guard's not up and they don't even know it? Yeah, I think sometimes if we're not careful, that can come across as, okay, the pastor's coming to test everybody or something like that, right? And I think in some of those circumstances, you just be up front with it and you tell everybody publicly, here's what I'm going to do with everybody. Right, um, and here's the two questions that I'm going to ask you. Everybody, um, right? I just want to know this from everybody because I think we, we've done this some as we're trying to do pastoral check-ins with members. Is that kind of started? A lot of the church members are like, "Oh no, does this mean I'm in trouble or something like that?" Right? But the whole point is just to know, say, this is what we want to do with everybody. This is how we want to help shepherd your soul. Exactly. Um, and so I think sometimes just putting that expectation out there, I think that can be really helpful too because I think a lot of times. In pastoral ministry, sometimes I say some people are happy for you to come over and, have, matter of fact, almost expect you to come have coffee on their porch every week or whatever it is, right? Right. But they actually don't want to get into spiritual things. They just want to talk. And so I think even sometimes coming in and saying, hey, here's how I'm going to handle these visits. Here's three things I want us to talk about this week. Um, is something that we can do to just set the expectations. Absolutely. Not try to catch people off guard, but just say, hey, here's, here's some things I want us to talk through. Absolutely. At NOBTS and Level College, our mission is to prepare servants to walk with Christ, to proclaim His truth, and to fulfill His mission. If God's calling you to take your ministry a step further, let us help. Visit us at nobts.edu. So, Charlie, I think as we think about how do we how do we help our church if they've been impacted by a false gospel, the first thing is, again, we just have to know our church. We have to know our people. The second thing I would say, and we talked about this a little bit as well when we were talking about the theology of identifying a false gospel, is you have to realize and you have to be aware of, is this really a gospel issue or is it a secondary or tertiary theological issue? Now, again, I will just reiterate this. It's not that you and I are saying secondary theological issues and all biblical issues are, are not important. They all are. But what we're talking about here is there's a difference in saying this actually affects what we think about as it relates to salvation versus this is something that perhaps relates to how we practice our uh, relationship with the Lord or our, 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 our Christian walk after our salvation. Again, in no way minimizing one, but we are saying, I, I think we want to say that the gospel issue that actually ma- matters and relates to a, a, an issue of salvation or not being saved is of utmost importance. And so one of the things that we as pastors have to have the wisdom to do, Charlie, I believe, is to ask that question, to answer that question. Now, let me give you a couple of examples of of what I mean here. I've had church members that to them, everything was a gospel, Mm -hmm. matter, salvation, not being saved issue, everything. So in other words, if somebody was going to a different church, I I mean, I'm being a little bit, 
uh, exaggerative here, but if somebody was going to another church, maybe even another Baptist church, because it's not our Baptist church, they probably aren't saved. Mm-hmm. And so I think we do have to have the wisdom to divide that sort of thing. And then sometimes some even even differences amongst denominations that don't directly relate to the gospel. Don't want to get into this, but we have some uh, some some people that some brethren that are much more charismatic. Not saying the idea of speaking in tongues to be saved, but something like speaking in tongues as a as a gift of the Spirit, and whether or not you have that, is that a gospel issue or not? And again, those things are important, but are they gospel issues? I've had church members that just will make everything a matter of salvation or or or, or not being saved. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to be wise of of knowing what we're dealing with. On the other side, if people see me, I'm raising my hand here. I'm pointing at myself, Charlie. <laughs> Can't we do the same thing sometimes? Like, I make everything, if I'm not careful, I will blow everything out of proportion to where everything in the church is a, is a you know, baseline, uh, foundational gospel issue. And all I'm saying is when we are dealing with our church that might be in, being influenced by false teaching or things that we don't agree with or think that relate to salvation, we need, we're, we're going to have to address all of it. But before we go in with guns a-blazing, we need some wisdom to know, what am I really dealing with here? Yeah. So even the term gospel issue is a loaded term right now, right? And there's all kind of discussions on what's a gospel issue and what's not a gospel issue. I was thinking about Galatians, which I know we've touched on before, but maybe this kind of question will make the point, right? Is circumcision a gospel issue, right? How would we answer that question? Well, you read parts of Galatians and you'd say, Well, no, right? Paul says circumcision means nothing and uncircumcision means nothing, right? But in a sense, in Galatians, he is saying it can be a gospel message. Because of what they were making it into there. Right, exactly, right. So it's not the circumcision per se that's a gospel message, the gospel issue, but it's how circumcision is being treated. And I think there's some parallels with different issues today, right? Is baptism a gospel issue even, just to use one that's easy for us to divide over as Christians today? Well, yes and no, right? We, we would all recognize that you can, well, I say all, that's not technically true. Most of us would recognize you can be a, you know, your baptism doesn't save you, right? That that's not a salvific thing. But baptism can certainly be misunderstood in a way that can make it a gospel issue when churches are demanding, you know, uh, baptism, you know, re- being regenerated through baptism, you know, whatever the case may be. It makes me think of like uh, Jude, for example, where to, to bring it to a practical level, Jude says to have mercy on those who doubt and save others by snatching them from the fire. One of the things that I think that we have to get to is we always have to remember we're dealing with people, right? So with this person, I think we have to be pressing in on the issue, am I dealing with an unbeliever or a misunderstood believer, right? Or a believer that has a misunderstanding. And that's what we're trying to get at. Is this person genuinely trusting in Christ and they have some misunderstandings? Then let's have mercy on those who doubt. Or is this person someone who's genuinely not a believer and we need to snatch them and seek to rescue them out of the fire, as it were? Yeah, I think that's a good way to put that. And, and, and so for, for clarification, I think you're exactly right. The same issue, depending on how it's being understood and talked about, can both be a not gospel issue yeah. or a gospel issue. Um, I, we'll use this example just because it's the one that most readily comes to mind and perhaps it will help 
give a concrete idea in our listen, listener, listeners' minds as to what I'm talking about. So in, in my first point, I was talking about knowing your people, but there's also a sense in which you have to know maybe the culture or society in which we find ourselves, and this will help here. So I pastored in Albuquerque, New Mexico for a while. Depending on what statistics you look at, it was like 98% non-evangelical mm-hmm. and like 92% of in the metro area of the million people didn't go to church anywhere, including a Catholic church. Mm-hmm. Well, Catholicism is very pervasive in the, in the culture there, but also so is Native American spiritualism mm-hmm. uh, 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 pervasive in the culture there. And so a lot of times what people believe and what people even come out of sometimes was this syncretism mm-hmm. of some mixture of Christ and his death with these understandings of these sacraments of the Catholic Church and this underlying idea of Native American spiritualism and all those things mixed together. And so I, I actually did a couple funerals, and I ministered to a couple families to where that became a gospel issue from the standpoint of a matter of salvation. Do they really understand it is Christ's substitutionary atonement, his death on the cross alone, that redeems them, or is Christ just simply a terminology that they're using, that they're mixing in with all of these other ideas that simply is understood in a way that the gospel doesn't purport what Christ has done. Mm -hmm. And I had to to navigate that, had to navigate that with funerals, with families, and just in the culture a little bit. The other side of the equation is, and I won't mention any names, there was this Baptist church right down the road from us that was, was a lot bigger than us that um, had, had, had exploded in growth, and um, everybody in my church talked about the reason they did that is because they had sacrificed the gospel, mm-hmm. and they, in fact, weren't preaching the gospel, and they were church light, so to speak. And uh, I, I, although they had some things, and the pastor and I didn't see eye to eye on some things, I don't really think that when it boiled down to it, we would have, we would, at least the way we have stated it, have, would have disagreed on the gospel so much so that if somebody came from that church to join our church, by, by necessity, I would have had to say, you can't join the church. Mm-hmm. It wasn't a gospel issue at that point. So those were two ways that in that context, I had to navigate this issue of, is this a gospel issue or is it not a gospel issue? Yeah, I think this is always helpful for us to remember that we're called to pastor people, right? I, I don't know if you struggled this like I did. It's easy to think that you're called to pastor a church as in the institution of F, you know, First Baptist wherever, right? And, and we get into this idea that we're, we're setting up programs and putting on services, and we wouldn't say it out loud this way necessarily, but we forget that we're called to shepherd people. Right, And so some of it is, I think sometimes we get so caught up in all of these other things that we forget to say, know that God has called me to shepherd these people. I need to invest in their lives to know what they believe, to, to get to know them well enough to see if they're trusting Christ or if they're trusting in their own works or, or, or some other syncretistic whatever it is, right? I think some of that goes back to it's – I don't want to make it overly simplistic, but sometimes we get caught up in all of these different ideas that are out there. But sometimes we need to go back to, is this person trusting Christ? Yep. Is this person believing in the gospel? Um, and, and focus on the person rather than, than all the stuff out there, if that makes sense. Absolutely, which maybe leads as a good segue into the last thing that I would say as I'm thinking about how do you manage, how do you help, how do you respond to when uh, your church – uh, has been uh, impacted 
by a false gospel. So if you determine, hey, indeed, they are being impacted by a false gospel, I think this is the last thing that you really need to think through as you're thinking about how to address it, where to address it, and when to address it. You really need to think through, is this something that has just impacted one individual? Or is this something that perhaps is becoming somewhat more pervasive into the entire congregation, Charlie? And what I mean by that, is this something that I can handle with with a meeting, with discipleship, with mentoring of this person or their family? Or is this something that's going to require me to actually address some things from the pulpit, to address some things in my teaching? Or maybe even we have to get to the point where we say, you know what, it's actually a little bit of both. It's a little bit of both, and I'm going to have to address this person because they've been directly impacted by it, or maybe even they're the ones that are teaching it or saying it, but then I also need to go, and we need to address it biblically from the the pastoral teaching and preaching as well. Yeah. It's so complicated in a sense, right? Because one of the things I say all the time is you think about, you know, seminary students, for example, that we can't teach you exactly what to do in every situation that you're going to face in ministry, but we can give you principles that then you can go apply, biblical principles, obviously, hopefully. So sometimes if your church is impacted by a false teaching, you're going to have a whole Sunday school class or a whole, you know, small group or whatever, you know, whatever terminology you use, where the leader's teaching a false teaching and leading those people astray. Well, that's one thing, right? That's... that's um, that's a situation, especially if the false teacher who's promoting the false gospel is in your church in a position of leadership in your church. That's going to, I would argue, call for very swift action as soon as you're sure about what's going Absolutely. on. Absolutely. Right? You're going to have to step in, and there you have to think, it's my job to guard the sheep, to protect the sheep. I need to watch over these people and protect the members of this class, the rest of the church, from this kind of heresy. Sometimes it's going to be one person who's just really confused, and they uh, – I was going to throw a name in here, but whatever. They love listening to this guy on TV, whatever it is, you know, and and, and their mom loved, listen, loved listening to him and all this other sort of stuff. But there's just a, a matter of ignorance there, right? Absolutely. And it doesn't need you to come up and, and blast the whole church the next Sunday morning, but you just need to come alongside that person and, you know – have mercy on them as as Jude talked about them and talk through them about, you know, why that teacher is teaching things contrary to scripture and sit down and disciple them, things like that. And so when we're dealing with false teaching, there's a whole range of all the way from rampant heresy being taught in the church by leaders in the church, all the way down to, you know, some honestly some saint, right, who's who's in danger of being led astray by this false teaching. But actually But we they're do not think, propagating yeah, these False doctrines, and we do think at the end of the day is just is a genuine saint who's 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 dabbling in some things that we need to warn them about and and to draw them back. And so, I think sometimes again, I go back to this topic of we're shepherding people. A lot of times when it comes to false teaching, we can kind of envision ourselves as these crusaders who just come in with weapons drawn, you know, <laughs> just just lashing out at every every bit of false teaching. And, and don't get me wrong, there are situations of false teaching in the church that require stern action and, and even excommunication and church discipline, things like that. Um, but what we what we don't want to do <laughs> Is is just come after a, a, a saint who's just confused that we want to disciple and and I think to your original point how are we going to know that 
honestly by talking to them, by being around them, by listening to them, and, and all these sorts of things. And as you were saying that, it's amazing how you start talking about two completely different scenarios. And in my years of pastoring, people are actually coming to my mind. Mm-hmm. And those both of those situations are coming to my mind. I think about the just heartbreaking situation of, of, a, of a Sunday school teacher or a leader that was actually um, – intentionally teaching that which was, I say intentionally, but what I mean by that is whether they knew it was right or wrong, they were teaching that which was wrong and Im- impacting and influencing a lot of people in the, in, the, in the heartbrokenness of what that meant to remove them. And then I think about the sweet saint that would come by the office and they just had a, an affinity for whoever because their mom did and their mom used to contribute to that ministry and this person sent their mom a Bible and it was, it was mom's favorite Bible right. and I've kept it so I still listen to that person. I mean, I think about both of those situations and you're right. And that, my whole point was we have to handle those differently. Right. Um, interesting enough, what's so fascinating about this, and maybe this is a little bit of a paradox, Charlie, but even though it's harder from the standpoint of it can get messier to have to remove a church leader or a Sunday school teacher, often the immediate fix of that happens more quickly mm-hmm. because you have to do it decisively. So yeah. a lot of times, look, there's still ramifications from it. People are upset, but the false teaching's removed, yeah. and you address it. But but that saint that continues to come to your office, even though it's not as endangering to the whole congregation, I'll come back to that in a moment, sometimes that takes a whole lot longer, yeah. and you never see the end, complete end fruit of that. And a lot of patience, too. A know? lot of patience. Yeah. Yeah. What's what's so so like you're saying? One of them is 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 harder from the sense of it, it affects more people, but it's swifter. The other one is easier because it doesn't affect more people and it takes patience. But sometimes the process is much longer. The interesting thing to me is when that often that sweet saint that has come to my office. I'm so thankful though because even though the way I usually find out about that is because they're they're wanting they are indeed a saint and they're wanting to engage their pastor yeah. in these conversations. Yeah. They're not wanting to influence anybody else. They're not out there trying to change a Sunday school class or cause problems. This is just really out of the overflow of their heart and they're wanting to come to you and talk about it. And what I was always thankful for is they're they're you know they're they don't have a group of 60 people that yeah. they got in their house that they're saying we need to stop believing this from the Bible and we need to believe this. They're, they're just coming to me, and often it would start like this, Pastor, I want to see what you think about this. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm thankful for that, right? That's a great end. Now, I think of one lady, she still she still texts me regular and calls me Pastor Charlie. I hadn't been her pastor in many years, but uh, she would come and say, Pastor, I want to see what you think about this. And what I'd say to her, I, sister, and I'd call her her name, I'd say, I appreciate that so much, because that shows so much confidence in me. I'd drive her crazy when I do that, so I'd say, but sister, it doesn't matter what I think. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter what you think. What matters is what God says, and so let's let's look at that together. Now, in some ways, that might seem a little bit like I don't know, like tried or something like that, or or, or or seeming like intentionally, you know, playing semantics or splitting hairs. But I would do that in that situation with her intentionally to just try to train her mind yeah. to go back on her own. Always be questioning what God's word says about yeah. this. But again, sometimes those situations are so much harder to actually get that out of them. Yeah, as you talk about a. Uh, that situation, I remember a, a sweet lady who, uh, I mean, again, I do think was a was a believer. She came to me after the service one time and was uh, so excited that she got tickets to go see Joel Osteen in New Orleans or something like that, you know. And I'm like, I think she saw the reaction on my face as she said that, you know, and uh, she could tell I wasn't quite as excited about that as she was. But it'd be one thing for me to just jump down her throat right there and and, and come after her. 
Uh, but I think the more helpful approach in that instance was to treat her like a sister and say, listen, hey, I want you to be very careful about this. Let's sit down and look through what's being taught here and, and think of it as a discipleship issue there. If I can put it this way, that was a discipleship issue, not a church discipline Absolutely. issue because I think it was a sort of a confused saint. Well, I, I appreciate your time. I, I mean, again, one of the things that we probably take for granted sometimes in pastoral ministry is the need to to guard the church against false gospels and things like that. So I appreciate your time. I would just close by saying this. It's really easy for us to get focused on the false gospels out there on social media, on television, uh, on the internet that have no impact on our church whatsoever and spend time on social media obsessing about those things. And I think it's just a helpful reminder of the privilege that God has given us to pastor and shepherd people. And so I would just encourage the pastors listening uh, to just devote yourself to your people. Um, in some senses, I think sometimes we don't need to spend a lot of time on things that don't affect our people, uh, but instead to, to shepherd well the people that God has given them, to given us, uh, guard them uh, from false teachers, guard them against things that would seek to lead them astray, and uh, do the work that God has called you to do. So I hope you find uh, some encouragement in that. So thanks, Adam. Appreciate you guys joining with us um, as we've been trying to think through some of the practical implications of what is the gospel. Thanks for listening. For more resources on pastoral ministry, visit us at faithfulpastor.com. And to learn more about training to become a pastor, visit us at nobts.edu.